Hello and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian. I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a psychotherapist and multicultural counselor. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. It's been forever. I was talking to somebody yesterday about my sex and love addiction. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just jump right in. And I thought of you because. Oh, well, I love well, it. Well, no, because we we talk about mental health all the time, and I and I they said. They were asking, where are you right now with it? And I said, it's a garden that needs to be weed, weeded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's something I have to be conscious of. There are things that can grow back. There are things that creep back into it. Yeah. And like one of the things that I did when I had, uh, it, basically short version is my sex and love addiction was all my self-loathing externalized. Right. Right. Yes. I needed, I didn't have, I, did, I just felt bad about who I was. And so in order to feel like I was whole, I, I, I you had to fuck me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> attention and validation. Attention and validation. And then the other thing that I used to do all the time, Matthew, um, I was wondering if you have anybody in your um, sessions like this. I would always align myself with a super hot guy and become his best friend uh-huh. and, and then suffer. Like I would I would be <laughs> like, you know, it's I would be, be I would become the indispensable best friend to somebody super hot, uh-huh. and it would just keep me in this neutered, sexless place that only affirmed my own self loathing. You know, yeah. I mean, I was, it okay. was the it was the um, we're friends. I like you as a friend. I'm never gonna fuck you. Right. Okay. So yeah. what? But tell me, like, what do you understand about that at this point now? I understand that that, that was a deliberate choice, and mm-hmm. my um, my therapist that I worked with said that that was an addiction. Right. That I was addicted to feeling that way. I was addicted to to being in that space because it was like it was the rush of being close, yeah. but the proximity, right? To that 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 was um, something I've been doing since high school. Totally. And so it was habitual. And then it was like, and then when I no longer saw myself as a victim of circumstance, like I was making those choices, right? And when I made the decision, I don't want to feel like somebody's best friend that they don't want to have sex with. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what yeah. you were saying, which is that you recognize whether it's, you know, seeking attention and validation through sex and love or through being best friends with certain kinds of people, mm-hmm. that all of that, it's an external validator for you mm-hmm. because on the inside, you've got you've got shame, right? Like that there's shit, there's beliefs that you're not enough, that you're unlovable. And so then you grasp for things externally to give you a sense of worth. Yes. But what but what was clear to me when I started going to meetings was all those things were an externalization of how I felt about myself. It was kind of like when I started looking at it as a mirror, right. I was like, this is how you feel about you, that you can't just be on your own. You can't just kind of, you know, uh, you you're you're grasping all the time. And the more totally. I worked on centering myself and, and, you know, you know, my affirmation. Yes. I'm not so bad. Um, (laughs) I'm not so bad. The more that I concentrated on like, I'm okay, I'm good. I'm, you know, I can, uh, I had a therapist say that I can't, you know, self-love is like this kind of like weird thing to teach. Can't really teach anybody to love themselves. What I can teach you to do and steer you in the direction is respecting yourself. 
Totally. But, and so it is about making sure that we can check in with ourselves and understand maybe why the fuck are we doing the things that we're doing? Why are we grasping for things outside of ourselves? Why am I putting myself in this position? Why am I putting myself in this position? You know, it's, it's kind of like a desperate grabbing for other things outside of ourselves to tell us that we're okay. And that that stems from our own internal belief that something's not enough within ourselves. So whether it's addiction or whether it's, you know, any other things, you know, if we're working too hard or we're trying to get, you know, our friends to pay attention to us or anything like that, it's grasping outside of ourselves instead of knowing how to self-soothe, which means going inward and Mm. being able to question what's the fucking story I'm telling myself about me right now. Uh What feels like not enough about me right now. And I'll share with you yours. I mean, you've, you know, have often talked about sex and love addiction and all these other ways that you've grasped Mm. for it. My version of that has um, oftentimes been how much can I fix people? How much can I take care of other people? You oh, know? that and was so it's your no way of feeling loved and validated? Is yes, like how- yes. And it's no surprise, obviously, that I've wound up in the profession that I, that I have because obviously I want to, I do, I do want to love and I do want to help heal and I do want to take care of people. But a big part of it really started from this kind of desperate need to feel like I mattered. And I did that throughout my life by having answers for other people, by fixing other people. What did that people. look like, Matthew? I mean, it was, I mean, it was like, you know, how many people, how many people have you ever heard say like, oh, I'm always that friend that everybody comes to, you know, we wear it like a badge of honor, but oh. the truth is, is that we're like desperate desperately trying to cure everybody else's issues because it's too painful to look at our own. So that's my stuff. And I'll tell you, so, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about shame and kind of like how we can process and cope, but that doesn't mean that shame doesn't still live within us and that shit can happen in our lives that kind of trigger that shame for us. And that's actually, interestingly enough, kind of what we're talking about today, specifically Shame shame triggers. And a thing for me that is really triggering is when I am trying to offer any kind of support Uh, and it just like, and it does not land and it kind of turns around and bites me in the ass, you know, and especially with like a lot of, you know, so obviously, you know, I'm in a private practice and I work with clients, but I do a podcast like this. I also make videos online. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes that I try to kind of put out certain messages out there that could potentially be helpful. Mm. And sometimes those messages really don't land. And I get a lot of uh, kind of, you know, as is the case for anybody that ever puts content out, you're always going to get some shit from time to time. Right, right, right. right. Anytime it, it's very triggering for me when I get shit coming back, because in my mind, my belief is I'm offering something, right? I'm mm-hmm. opening up and I'm offering this like pretty much for free. Yeah. And so I, I kind of think I should be immune to any criticisms. Mm-mm. So when it happens, then Mm-mm. I take it very personally. And that's on me because yeah. that's my shame trigger. And I personalize it way too much. Me too. Like I can't read the comments. I can't read the oh, yeah. comments. I can't. Somebody said, do you read reviews? And I'm like, absolutely not. I stopped in the 90s because there was a re- review of me in the uh, New York magazine. New Yorker. Well, and yeah. New York magazine. And I was terrible in this play. But seeing it, it really felt like there was a, my my face got hot. Yeah. Um, and it felt like an elevator going down inside my body. That kind totally. of shame. Yeah. There was a shame. And I was I was in a um 
I was in a restaurant in New York City. You know, you, you eat in between shows when you're on a Broadway show. And, and there was some people in a booth behind me who had just seen the show I was in. Yeah. And, and talked out loud about how awful I was. No! Oh, my and God. That's a shame nightmare. It was a shame nightmare. And he's like, mm. and it was everything, you know, God, he was so effeminate. He was such a faggot. Why do yeah. people keep hiring this guy? He's terrible. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, you know, he went to NYU. I can't believe you. Like, it, it, it ad nauseum. They went on yes. and on. And I just remember sitting there with my cheeseburger, just kind of going, oh, oh God, this is horrible. Oh, my God. Because the things that people say about us, it like when it reflects the exact story that we oftentimes are trying to fight back ourselves, mm. it just is such a trigger. So for you, you know, kind of like, you know, if you're hearing people say like, oh, he's not talented or he's too, you know, gay or, you know, he's not good enough then all of a sudden it, it just like triggers all the stuff that you've worked so hard to make sure that you don't buy into. And that's really painful. And so what winds up happening when we have that kind of, whenever anything is said or, or that we see that triggers that for us, we immediately go into fight or flight mode. And so we stop being able to function really kind of at the frontal cortex of our brain where we can think productively and creatively and can problem solve. And we immediately get thrown back into the motor parts of our processing, which is pure survival. So that's why we have adrenaline and cortisol and start coursing through our bodies. And so it's not just kind of like, oh, you're just, you know, you know, you're just getting worked up or you're anxious for no, it's not just like an emotion that you can't measure. I'm traumatized. It's going, it's actual trauma. It's it's actual trauma in your body. It's triggering that. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's, it's also the other part of that is, is being queer, you know, when you're a kid and you're self-conscious and everybody's calling you a sissy and then you, and then there's that part of you. Oh my God, it's true. Yes. It's true. They can see it. And it's, it's true. Yeah. It's, and then, and then just, I just remember like in, in, in junior high school, just feeling so bad about that. Like, yep. oh, all right. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So I did. So a few years ago, I made a video, one that I really don't have any regrets in life. But I will tell you, if there's one thing I could go back and change, I probably would just not make this fucking video and put it out there. Tell me all about it, please. All right. So the video, it makes me it honestly almost triggers me just like saying the name of it. So so I called it Pretty Privilege. And keep in mind, okay, picture it, West Hollywood, 2015, right? Like it was like kind of around this time I started getting some attention and tracking for videos that I was putting out. And as I always say, I'm a multicultural counselor. So it's Mm -hmm. about understanding the variety of our cultural identities that, you know, kind of make up who we are, right? Got it. So I would make videos, things where I would talk about racism and white privilege, you yes. know, being a man and misogyny, mm-hmm. um, ageism, um, you bottom know, tra- shaming, I transphobia, think I transphobia yeah. and cis privilege. So I, you know, these are all the things that I talked about. So a couple <laughs> years ago, I decided, okay, I think it's time for me to make this video of which, by the way, I saw this interview with Oprah and Sybil Shepherd back in like 2011, where uh-huh. they were talking about exactly this. What they were talking about was kind of like the experience of like, you know, the privilege that comes along with being born with certain kind of genetic characteristics and traits I'm that sweating. is part I'm of the sweating. beauty. You're making me so nervous. That is part of kind of a set of standard of kind of what society would I call, you know, attractive or beautiful and whatever. And then all the advantages that come along with that. Right. They had this conversation. Oprah was like, hallelujah, Sybil Shepherd. Thank you so much for being honest. Nobody ever does. Everybody always plays the modesty card, but Mm -hmm. modesty Mm -hmm. is a learned affectation. So Mm -hmm. thank you for being real about it. That has been in the lodged in the back of my brain thinking I could have that conversation. I think I could do it. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, I decided to make this video and I basically 
tried to say that. And my intention was to be able to talk about kind of beauty privilege and then what comes along with that. Yeah, but you weren't, also you weren't saying, an actress who's aged out of right, that. Right, yeah. exactly. So yeah. speaking speaking from that myself, and this I think this was the tricky part because what I was saying is that I have benefited from this specific privilege. Mm. And I also wanted to be able to own that in a way that could, I my intention was to be helpful to start actually calling it out so we can start changing beauty standards because you can only start to actually take the power out of privilege when the people who are in a place of privilege actually cop up to it and say, I've been, you know, advantaged by this. And now like, let's start letting it go instead of, you know, playing the dumb card and still being able to reap the rewards. That was the intention. I put the video out and like, I mean, it was kind of like at the early days of canceling. And that was kind of like, to me, what felt like I was like, oh, I lost everybody, everybody, like anybody, like all like the people who were following me and who liked the messages that I was putting out all of a sudden, like, no, and I still hear it. Like, so a shame trigger for me is when I kind of hear in the background, like somebody will still throw up a message of like, if I post a video and they'll be like, whatever, fuck you, pretty privilege. Or like, I'll hear something out on the streets, pretty privilege. I'm like, wow, people still think about that. And so that's a trigger for me because it makes me feel like, wow, everybody, my fear is everybody's thinking, yes, he is full of shit. He never was the real deal. He oh. doesn't know what he's talking about. And now we don't have to listen to him anymore. All and right. So what that's what do you think? Okay. Now, <laughs> as a therapist, my yeah. question is. <laughs> By the I, way, thank you for letting me process this oh, today because no, no, I want to let it go. <laughs> I got you. I love you. Um, what, as a therapist, where, where, where's, where was that reaction coming from? Which reaction? The the strong reaction, the strong negative Mine. reaction. Mine or from that other people? people watching it had. What do you think that was, where, where did that come from? Was um, it, did they feel like you were full of yourself? Did they uh, yes. feel like, yeah. I think, and, and, and I have to say too, that I think I, you know, it's not just like, oh, people misunderstood me. I'm not playing that card because Mm -hmm. I do think that my message was very imperfect. I think there's probably many things that I could have said differently or done differently. I think that I came across perhaps as arrogant, which was not my intention, but I think I came across as arrogant. That's feedback that I've heard. Um, And I think that uh, in general, because especially being in the queer community as gay men, we put yeah. such a high premium on things that are inauthentic to who we are, like how, you know, what our appearance is and how attractive we may be. Yeah. So for somebody to call that out, I think especially somebody who has benefited from that privilege, I think is can be triggering for all of us because it's calling out all of our shame. I think it calls out kind of all of our shit of feeling not enough. And, um, and yeah, especially if we haven't benefited from any of these privileges, then all of a sudden it feels like, uh, yeah, like really not enough. Oh, uh, oh, wow. Well, listen, we have an amazing guest we today. We do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to have him here. He's he's a good friend, and I'm such a huge fan. He's I so am wonderful. too. I am too. I'm very excited about our guest. So our guest today is a SAG award-winning actor, singer, Broadway star, and comedian who you have seen on numerous TV shows and movies like Angel, Six Feet Under, and most recently, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, which, by the way, I loved. He is also an accidental Instagram superstar with his hilarious link look for less photos and videos which took social media by storm which i was also really obsessed with (laughs) yes i'm still obsessed he has a podcast called undressing bridgerton where he and his co-host felicia day 
critique and chat about all the fashion and swoon on the popular show. We are so, so excited to have him on the podcast. Welcome to the one and only Tom Link. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Where is he? Where are you? He left. <laughs> yeah. You started talking about that pretty, pretty privileged video. He just checked out. Please welcome to the stage. Pretty hey. privileged. Pretty privileged. <laughs> Somebody who's benefited from. So you had the reason we talked about it at length was yeah. in your pre-interview. Can't wait to talk about this. Also, please welcome to the stage. Shame triggers. Shame, shame triggers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm mortified. I feel horrible because I told your producer. Oh no! <laughs> no, listen. This is the this is the sweet spot of the show. Yes. That's why it's called hot mess. This we is have, exactly yeah, the kind of conversation. Exactly the conversation these conversations we want to have. Well, I started talking about therapy. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wait, I'm moving my microphone. Hold on. Okay. There we go. Okay, so I started talking to your producer about my experience. I've been in therapy for 15 years. And then I was like, oh, okay, am I allowed? To, are we allowed to talk about pretty privilege? She said, what's that? And I explained. And so anyway, I'm very, I feel very honored that you're willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Because it is so interesting to me to see how that video affected someone in the community that you didn't know. Like just how the reach of of video and of social media and how mm-hmm. many lives that you are affected are affecting in one way or another. Like yeah. it just, mm-hmm. it blows my mind because I saw that video and of I, I mean, I took notes while you guys were talking, by the way, had a complete nervous breakdown. <laughs> I had, um, I was filled with rage. Oh, I had a oh. meltdown. And I'm like, the nerve of this man to make this video. He doesn't read the room, sir. Read the room. Yeah. Oh. And I was furious about it. Um, but I, one of the things I love to do, uh, and I talk about this in therapies, I love to get mad because I, um, I see my anger as a place of, of, um, of action. Mm. By getting mad about things, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm taking action ag- against those things or for myself. Um, I love, like a, I, it sounds like a boundary has been crossed. It's like I have to kind of like defend myself or is that what you're talking about in the anger? Yeah, the anger creates a, a, a state of um, a feeling like I'm actually doing something even though I'm totally. not. I'm just- like, produ- like it's productive, it feels productive. Yeah. yeah, and in some ways it is because like I'll get angry about something and then I'll make a comedy video sort of addressing one of the things I got mad about. And so then, mm-hmm. then it did become um, motivational or it did become productive in some way. So I took that, and I've been with the same therapist um, his name is Mark for now 15 years. And this video was what, like five, six years ago? Uh, no, only like three years ago. Okay, got it. Yeah. So I took in the video and I just show, I made my therapist watch it mm. and I screamed at him. Great. <laughs> I said, this man is coming for your gig, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Can you believe a therapist looks like this? And Mark is Mark is a lovely man. He's like maybe 10 years older than me. And I just and I feel very comfortable with him. And and we laughed about it. And I was angry. And and also now, like listening to you talk about it, I can't remember specifically what I was mad 
about all the fact well, that you're- it, Here's the thing. Like the shame trigger for me is like, you know, I was uh, an Atlantis cruise um, comedian for a good six, seven years. And that is kind of like gay calculus. It is a circuit party. You will see the most beautiful worked out men you've ever seen in your life. Just flawless body, flawless. I mean, they, they train for this cruise like it's an Olympic event. Having said that, there's all different kinds of people on board. It's not just that one, one type of person. And the shame trigger for me is if I'm walking with a friend who's attractive or I'm, or I'm walking through a party and I see a guy do the up and down with me or look right through me. Or just mm-hmm. they do, do the, it's it's a subjective like up and down assessment and like no it's mm-hmm. kind of like it's their visual swiping left or what is it on Tinder you don't want somebody right not right yes yeah. that to me that still hurts my feelings that's like oh hmm uh. yeah. and it's and that's 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 reticent of my old um that's reticent of my old uh, sex and love addiction that I wanted you know I was existing on the validation of other people. That's right. what, but that's what it triggers for me when I yeah. when I see an attractive gay man look right through me. Yeah. Tom, looking looking back on it now, especially kind of at that time, what is it that you think was maybe the most you know kind of upsetting or triggering thing for you about watching that video? Well, it's like when you know, we're please, by the way, don't hold back and say everything. Like I, I legitimately am curious and want to know, and I appreciate you being willing to have this conversation too. Okay. I, uh, I, and also I'm on the other side of it and I see everything that yes. went through. Um, I, I think, I think a little bit what Alec was saying, uh, I think I'm very triggered by having on a weekly basis being told you're not attractive enough. Mm. You're not going to, you know, they went, you know, they went with a hot guy or the descriptions we're getting in our, uh, in our uh, breakdowns for roles. You know, he's definitely not a model, all caps. Like uh, send us your quirky guys, uh, weird and ugly faces as well. You know, when you get that. And, I'm so immune to it now. Like I just laugh at it. Yeah. But I, I think, uh, I think because I felt like you had crossed over into, uh, my, my territory, right. So to speak of making videos and content. And I'm like, why can't you just be a therapist? And why do you need attention for making videos? And of course I hadn't watched your other videos. So I'm just seeing this one that, everyone was hammering on social media uh, and I'm just getting lathered up about it because uh, I felt like as someone who's been, you know, work working so hard on this all the time, it's the same thing of like when you're, when I would be dating someone and they'd be like, I think I'm going to take a groundlings class. I'm like, I trained, I went to school for this. <laughs> I, I invested my whole life. Yeah. And you're just like, get a off my lawn. Cute person who thinks they're, hell- you think you're, you think you're funny, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, anytime, anytime someone said, I, I think I want to take a groundlings class or I think I should take headshots. I was like, and this is the, this is when the, the relationship spirals and ends. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think, uh, I don't know. I think also, I think social media, we love to hop on board a, a bandwagon. And I mean, it still happens every day on Twitter. Now yeah. I, I mm-hmm. You know, and I love, I still love to get lathered up about stuff. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think one, it was I'm feeling territorial. Uh, totally. Two, I, I feel um, 
a lot of the same things that Alec is, is talking about, like feeling invisible, which is why yeah, yeah. I stopped being friends with really hot people. And, and I, so I only hang around Jack Plonick. Oh, burn. Oh, <laughs> JK, JK. No, I, um, I had a, I just remember a, a hot friend of mine from college, Sergio, we like it, you had, if you were at a bar or club, you had to like, sort of like distance yourself from him because he um, upstage you. And so I yeah. was just very conscious of that for, for decades of like, oh, I'm not going to be upstaged by, um, Sergio. I also, by Sergio. Uh-huh. I also went through a phase of, it started with like, oh, I, um, well, it started with, I had a dentist and I was like, this guy's a jerk and I feel like he's a Republican. I'm out. And so I wanted <laughs> a gay, I wanted to like start, if I'm going to go to someone for a service, I wanted to support the the queer community. And so it started with a dentist. I found a lovely gay dentist. He's amazing. Do, uh, Dr. Ron Sparks, if you need one in LA. And uh, and then it started from there. And then I was like, I was like, wanted to find a gay doctor. And then I want, oh, wait, hold. The dog is going to bark at the pool guy. Hold on. Hold, please. Okay. Hold, please. <laughs> <laughs> that is such an LA conversation. <laughs> we've always we've always got dogs jumping in. Are you feeling better, Matthew, about this with somebody unpacking? Um, yes. I'll be honest yeah. with you, yes. Um, and you know, it's not to say that this, you know, that I was kind of reeling from thinking of a conversation like this, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's always it's always helpful to be able to call things out and and have like these kinds of conversations. Right. Shame triggers. Shame triggers. I'm back. Okay. So I, I, I think I, so then I started going through a phase of like, okay, then I want it to be a hot, hot doctor I'm going mm-hmm. to. And then it turned out, it was like, I was in the phase of uh, being a, uh, having a crush on my therapist mm-hmm. and like wanting, <laughs> wanting to have sex with my therapist. And like, for those of you who don't know in therapy, like you go through many stages of transference. I'm maybe yes. talk more about mm-hmm. it, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's for me, that was one of the first ones. And like, it also took me like a year and a half. Finally, he was like, why don't you ask me the question you want to ask me? I'm mm-hmm. like, are, are you, are, are you, are you gay? Are you a gay man? And he's like, <laughs> yes, I am. And, and he's like, do you want to know anything else? I'm like, are you, do you, are you married? He's like, I have a husband. And then two years later, I was like, do you have children? And like, I couldn't believe the things I didn't know about my therapist. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so. I, real quick, real quick yeah, though, Matthew. Re, yeah, real quick. He said, he said the magic word transference. He said the magic word, so let me jump and in. So, so transference. This is a mental health podcast. Right. And you, can you explain to our, our listeners really very, quickly what. Sure, what very, very quickly. Transference basically means when we are in therapy, ideally, you mostly don't know too much about your therapist. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because then we can kind of assume that the majority of things that you might feel about your therapist is transference. It's transferential, meaning we transfer our feelings, we project it onto our therapist. And so the feelings that we have then are our own. And when you don't know that much about your therapist, then your therapist can say, let's talk about these feelings, right? Because like you actually don't know who I am. So let's just kind of explore this a little bit more. So transference is basically just kind of our own shit that we can project onto our therapist, but there's still our feelings and it gives us a chance to process through what that's about. What were you, what were you projecting onto your therapist? Tom, in retrospect, um, I 
I think it, it had a lot to do with uh, seeing my, trying to find myself attractive and my own. Cause I was also like, I couldn't control any aspect of my career as far as auditions go yeah. and trying to get jobs and whatnot. So if you feel no control in that way, um, you want to try and feel like you're in charge in one area. Yeah. And so I really was like, oh, I can take charge and I can make my, I'm being told I'm ugly in this department, but I can make myself feel attractive by uh, the people I date or mm-hmm. uh, hook up with, et cetera. And so I think it was a lot about that. Also, I want to, in a generalized way, is it the, the sort of therapist as a blank slate? Is that because you're really having a conversation with yourself in a way like the therapist yes, essentially sort of yeah mirroring you. it's what we, yeah it's what we call tabla rasa which means blank slate and so tabla you know, rasa tabla rasa so. that's, that's my new drag name please walk in the tabla rasa and i just don't lip sync anything I mean, just, no makeup she on. just stands there yeah. <laughs> and so obviously as a therapist there's certain things that you're not going to be able to you know cover up obviously you know about certain things that you might be able to assume about um you know appearance and things like that or, or some things you might know but as much as you can kind of keep certain things at bay then yes because then you're holding a mirror up to your client also uh, another thought i had was about the video i think was because i see <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm going back i'm going back yeah go for it because it, clearly, back. it triggered so many things for me is because i you know, I've really broken down <laughs> gay culture into cliques and levels, A gays, B gays, C gays, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. executive gays. Um, and because we're there, it, you know, hot, the tall, hot gays. And I think uh-huh. when that video came out, I was dating a tall, hot gay, also a therapist. Uh, <laughs> Wait, a, you were, you were dating a tall, hot, gay therapist? A psychiatrist. He's a psychiatrist. Go ahead. He's a child, a child psychiatrist. Um, So, and he he worked at at a hospital, et cetera. Anyway, um, and uh, I I saw the. I just was seeing his group of friends versus mine, and it was also Mm. like there. To me, I like to be very judgmental Mm -hmm. because it makes me feel better than Mm -hmm. them, and then it makes then it feels healing because I'm still, you know, obviously dealing with being a, a, a queer kid, closet queer kid growing up, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I like to judge them and be like, well, their friendships are pre- are based purely on like partying. Like mm-hmm. they don't talk to each other outside of the bar, outside mm-hmm. of going to their Palm Springs vacation. Mm-hmm. Thing. And they all look alike and they all only hang out with tall, hot people. And so I feel like an outsider, but I'm making myself an outsider in advance as yeah. well. Because you're uh, rejecting them before they have a chance to kind of yeah. X you out. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I feel like these are all the things I'm talking about. These are all the things that the video brought up. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I just, and I was mad for my therapist. And I'd already gone through my phase of wanting to have uh, hot people that I was going to for for my healthcare needs and (laughs) services and whatnot. And I was like, no, no, I'm on the other side of it. And I want like a therapist who looks like a therapist. And, you know, from like a TV show version of a therapist. Yeah. And, uh, I I just couldn't wrap my head around because I knew if I 
were in a place where I was looking for a therapist, I would go to you and then I would spend this whole, I would spend sessions trying yeah. to get you to fall in love with me because right. I think oh. me um, seeing hot people as, as a, as a, a trophy, like if I could achieve that, then right. I myself am good. Uh -huh. What's yeah. that called? Yeah, that oh, makes yeah. perfect sense. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so, because when I sure. was going through my midlife crisis at 43, I was surrounding myself with super hot tall gays. And that was, the, it was about, it was a, because it was like when I was doing Atlantis and everything, I lost all this weight. I was shredded. I was seeing a personal trainer. I mean, I could barely lift my head up off the pillow. I was like, so malnutrition, but it was like it, because I wanted to be a part of that club. I never felt like I was a part of that club. And then a year into it, I remember being at the circuit party and look and being surrounded. It was three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I'm not one of these boys. I'm just not, that's not yeah. I finally looked at it, the externalization of everything is like, and that's okay. Yeah. But it was, it was the very first time that I was like, all right. <laughs> totally. Well, it's, you know what, honestly, I kind of want to, I want to. This isn't my lane. Yeah. Well, I want to jump in because like, even, even in some of kind of my own ways, it's interesting when you were talking about the kind of groups of guys that you'd maybe kind of like want to try to get attention and validation from. There's a lot of times that I you know, kind of doing the work that I do, it's very kind of like cranial. A lot of times it's not very creative. And so there's a part of me that oftentimes has felt like there's something lacking within me. Like I'm not cool enough or I'm not like witty enough or creative enough. And I find myself kind of like almost at times kind of desperately gravitating towards people who are more creative, who I think are funny, who are doing cool shit. And it's kind of like, I want to kind of be a part of, I want to be a part of that. And there's a lot of times that I He's feel- talking about me, by the of way. Course. <laughs> I mean, I really, I really lucked out with this podcast. I really hooked them. But aside from Alec, you know, there's, there's definitely been other times where I've tried to kind of, you know, join some of those groups and have not been welcomed. And it's been triggering for me feeling like that there's something lacking within me. Well, also, cause we're like, oh, uh, oh, you want to be funny? No, 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 sir. You don't get to benefit from our years of <laughs> <Right>. training. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, with, and anytime you're hating someone or judging someone, you're really, it's really about you and, and yourself. So totally. I, I, all I, all you point stuff. at someone, there's three fingers pointing back. That's Amen. true. There's always, because anytime, and again, bringing it back to the topic of shame triggers specifically, whenever we feel ourselves get really kind of angry or really upset or really anxious, that thing that gets triggered for you, you know, where you just kind of like see red, that stuff, then when that's happening, that's a good time for us to check in and think about how am I feeling inadequate right now? Because mm. that question, and it might not be the one in the moment that's going to get you there because you're just kind of in fight or flight mode, but at some point to land on that question and when just have an honest- happens? When it happens? Well, when the shame begins to subside, right? When the adrenaline and cortisol start to kind right, of right. recede yeah. to at some point check in and just consider, okay, wait a minute. That felt like a lot. That was, I think that was a trigger. In what ways did I maybe feel inadequate, right? And this is something that I'm asking myself every time that I'm getting my shit stirred up. Okay, what the fuck is this? How am I feeling not enough? And if I just ask that question, it starts to open up some doors for me and it starts to open up perhaps maybe some more insights in a way that gives me a chance to kind of own my own irrational stories and find newer, more effective ways of self-soothing. Mm -hmm. It's not a fear-based narrative. It's not right. a fear-based, shame-based story. Listen, totally. before we talk about shame for the rest of the um, interview, I have to talk about how much I love Tom and how talented he is. <laughs> yeah. um, I love your Instagram, um, your 3000 post song where you sing 
What, what were you saying? You were singing something about this is my thousand pose. This is my three thousand pose. This is my three thousand pose. It's a hard sound to say. A DTH. It's gotten stuck in my head. But <laughs> it was so good. That was your I old miss- rock of ages kind of thing. And then um, also your- like everyone's like, I love that song. I'm like, I just pressed the beatbox on GarageBand and pressed record on my camera. I was standing there making up a song. How are people watching this? Why are you giving me attention? Because it kept, it kept on going. That's the thing that made it so funny. It kept on going. And then the lank <laughs> look for less, which oh has my God. a worldwide phenomenon. Iconic. Yeah. Of uh, you taking looks directly from the red carpet and recreating yeah. them out of household items. Right. It's like, it's like you're doing the drag on a dime thing from RuPaul every time you do it. You know, it's interesting because uh, I'm so glad I had like a, a 15 minutes of fame prior to this because I think... Uh, you know, I you see when people have their meltdown on social media, like because it's all like an ebb and a flow, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and so like I'm on the other, I'm on the other, I'm on my flow. I'm having a heavy flow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like it peaked, and then now it's gone down, and that's fine because I've also read an article about how memes and the coronavirus are the same. They is the same property of like. It goes out and goes into the popular consciousness, oh, and, then and then it and then it subsides once you've all become immune to it. So yeah, anyway, um, and I also saw that like, uh, oh, if I'd been a a, a straight man, uh, this would have been already turned into a TV show. But because uh, it's still, I'm still in this this other place. Like it's uh, not. It's because I I can't, I said I would keep doing these outfits until it turns into a TV show. And it hasn't, and I got bored of it. <laughs> and also, it's like, well, let me like let me put my creative energy into like what I'm actually here meant to be doing, which is like being a performer. And like, yeah, take, I think awesome. it was. I think it, I looked at it as a facet of like a yes. part of your creativity. Yeah, because the thing that got me about, and I started, I started chatting with you on your Instagram before we worked together, was that your 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 geometry was so perfect. You would take. <laughs> You would take the shape of what was ever on the red carpet and fashion a tablecloth and paper plates yeah. into the exact same shape. And like a garbage bag. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I really was using it as a, in the way that some people journal or, you know, just as a, a creative thing to force yourself to do on a regular basis. Yeah. And yeah. Um, my brain, because I'm not great at like overall projects, five-year goals, or like mm-hmm. I'm gonna write a screenplay, mm-hmm. but I am um I am good at like writing a sketch, writing a song, right? Like mm-hmm. uh these sort of short-term things. And so I was getting a lot of creative satisfaction, artistic artistic satisfaction out of like, here's the assignment, the challenge, do it, finish it, post it, it's done. Oh, the next one. Yes. It was like and a little bite-sized assignment. Yeah, it's yes. the same way yeah. people do crossword puzzles or right. Sudoku or you know anything that it's sort of like, it's a methodical process that relaxes you. Yeah. And also like I started it as sort of just a funny thing and it took off and like in all, like a lesson for all of you, like, oh really the thing I wasn't trying hard at out at all is the thing that took off. Okay, I guess I'm going with this. Work smarter, not harder, people. Less work equals more work. And I, so it just was, and I, it was interesting to see, I, um, 
I saw Jack, my friend Jack Plotnick, start using my thing. I was like, just put it out there. Why are you spending weeks and weeks on one video? Uh, do you want to be Picasso or do you want to be Keith Haring? Keith Haring was just putting his artwork everywhere. It yeah, was like, painting like every 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. who is to say artistic value, you know, what's greater? One precious, precious, beautiful statue that you made that took you 20 years or thousands of quickly drawn images that happen super fast and every anyone could have them. There's no- You were like, really, really fast. That's the thing, that's the other thing yeah. I was thinking, the speed, like they, it would just be on television, whatever, the red carpet, and literally that day, yeah. you would have the outfit. Up. I don't, it was just sort of, I don't know why, it just, it, it really, it was fun for me to just like solve the puzzle of how would I do that? And yeah. how will I do it? Like my one of my favorite ones was a Lady Gaga one and she was wearing this oversized brown uh sort of just like a boxy suit with huge shoulder pads and i had the exact brown in on on the the curtains that were in the front of the house at my ex's <laughs> place and so i just stood in the curtains and i put a, i put my dress form on there and pinned it and so like the shape of the suit is in the <laughs> curtains but i'm standing in the curtain and to me that was like so fun and stupid yeah and uh, um, and like I love to still I'm still pitching a, like a nailed it version <laughs> of, of doing making garbage outfits and I want to be the judge like yeah. also now it's like it I don't need to do it anymore because I I solved all the puzzles like I know how to make all basic right like, but didn't it was it turned into an e job at some point you were yeah I got I got there. to do so many cool things I did some e red carpet stuff I got to be in I this uh high-end luxury fashion brand, Acne Studios. They have a- yeah. Oh, I love them. Uh, they hired me to make the garbage outfits so that they could put, then use it as their, I was the model and they made they made mannequins, like foam core mannequins of me in their windows. And then I sent them the garbage outfits and they made multiples. Oh my God. They send them to all the stores. And so there's just mannequins of me wearing garbage outfit and then <laughs> me wearing the actual outfit. And then they sent me to Paris Fashion Week and I was like, this is oh a dream. Oh my God. But it was so cool. And also I think, uh, like I see my friend, you know, Leslie Margarita, I'm sure Alec. Yeah. Moppa. And uh, why did I first and last name you? I don't know. Leslie Margarita, Alec Mappa. Uh, and she <laughs> has been ice skating in the last couple of years because she wanted to have something that was hers just for her. Mm -hmm. The way Chrissy Teigen is riding horses right now. Mm -hmm. Just you need something for yourself. <laughs> that's, that's a hobby, you know? And like when <laughs> acting is your job, it's something that you love doing, but it's also a job. Uh -huh. And it, 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 any, Anything you're doing to earn money all the time, you know, there are there are so many aspects that I don't enjoy about it. So I think it was good to have something that was completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. For me, fashion is something I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, to 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 look at it, to participate. I'm not in that industry. Right. Yeah. And so but it's something in the meantime. I mean, being an actor is all about keeping your creative juices flowing in yeah. the I, I never say I'm unemployed. I say I'm in between artistic triumphs. And, <laughs> oh, um, I love that. It's a way of reframing it. But you always appear to me as somebody who's always doing something. You all you're you're always tinkering. You're always like yeah. Hey, you and Jack do a lot of sketches. You always seem to be creating, and I think those kind of things are so healthy because it keeps you supple. It keeps you it it, it keeps you from getting rusty. Well, like I, I I 
you know, I tell people that, you know, ask about acting and like, I'm thinking about acting and wondering like, how do I, I'm like, no, no, just do it. Yeah. If you're thinking about it and you haven't done it, it's too late. Okay. Because someone, it, yeah. someone else has already just been doing it. Like, right. why, do we, why do we go to theater school? I don't know. Yeah, why, yeah, you yeah. know, I could have just been taking classes at the groundlings. You know, but it sounds like, <laughs> but Tom, it sounds like that the reason why you've been kind of as successful as you've been and also have been able to continue doing all the things that you do all the time is because you it's sustainable for you because your intention is set right. Your intention is to express things, to create things, to put it out there and then let it be what it is. So many of us can, you know, try to do whatever it is that we're doing with the hopes that we're going to get the accolades or the reward at the end of it. And that's us being attached like you and I were just talking about this earlier before the show, being attached to outcomes and expectations as opposed to doing the thing just because it brings you joy. It's fun and, and stupid. that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Fun and stupid is my sweet spot. When I'm at that point where it's like, this is so fun and so stupid and I'm just laughing and I could derive pleasure yes. from that. I yeah. want to run towards that experience. Yeah. Well, also there's the flip side of it, which you could say like, um, you know, I just watched that Lindsay Lohan interview on David Letterman and he was so mean to her. And she said, you know, I'm my happiest. And I'm at my best when I'm busy working. So one could say like, oh, I just got to keep myself busy so I don't let the demons get me. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I, I think, um, you know, as an artist, specifically as an actor, if you're just acting at auditions, then you're never actually acting. You're just mm -hmm. auditioning. Mm -hmm. You're never actually mm -hmm. creating. You're trying, you're, you're attempting to create, but also you can use, you can use like, oh, I did. You can also look at it as like, oh, I went to an audition today. I did a little play by myself for this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like little goals, mission accomplished. Yeah. But yeah. if you're really going to work on your craft, like, painters you got to paint uh because you love it and also um this is a lot of like jack plotnik um his his acting class you know like if you're pra like his you said, class is terrific it's a really oh shit we're running out of time okay well, go I'll ahead. wrap it up i'll wrap it up like <laughs> okay. if you're if you're if you're finding joy in something others will notice and you know it brings it can only bring more of that to you, et cetera. Oh, but also, but also just know that sometimes I'm like, I hate this video. Is it even funny? I'm sick of it. Someone pay me money. Give me a job. God damn it. I, I think that was your hot message. We usually have our guests do a hot message, but this, that, that message of like just doing something because it makes yeah. you, but like if you had a hot message for the other people out there who are, who are in between uh, in between, in between triumphs. Yeah. What would you say? What was your, um, topic? uh, I, well, something that I tried to put out via the Instagram, which is like, uh, stop trying to make the perfect thing. Hey, Hey, writers on a sitcom, stop rewriting the joke a hundred times. There's no perfect joke. There's no perfect ending. Like you're saying results. Uh, you just have to pick one and and finish typing it and press save. You have right. to you have to do your final paint stroke and and put the painting. It's never done. The painting's never done. You got to put the brush down and let other people just make up their mind about it. Um, so I think if you can take the pressure off yourself to stop being perfect in the things that you're putting yeah. out there, as far as what you're creating or with your job or in relationships, and just know like if I'm putting energy into it and, and working on it, that's, that's still a great thing. Yeah. Tom, you're, you're delightful. Totally you're a delight delightful. and yes. so much fun to work with and hang out with. And I can't wait till this is over. So we can do that again. Where can people find you on your socials? 
uh, come at me at Tommy Lang on Instagram or at Tom Lang on Twitter. Listen to the Undressing Bridgerton podcast if you like Bridgerton, because uh, we talk about all the hot, horny things. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Tom. It was a pleasure talking to you. We'll see you Thanks soon. Thanks for having me, you guys. Bye. And now, leaving the stage, pretty privilege. <laughs> <laughs> Shame triggers. Uh, Matthew, what's your hot message for the day? Um, I think you my, know what? That, my, that conversation went over time because, like, it was such yeah, a good one. It was really good. It and was I think so my, good. It was really good. I, I loved it. And I guess I would say my hot message and kind of tying it all together is okay. a little bit of t- uh, piggy, piggybacking off of what Tom is saying is just do the thing, right? Do it because you enjoy doing it. Work, you know, you're best at it, but then put it out. It's never going to be perfect because when you do that and you're doing it just for the sake of the joy of it, then you're expressing yourself as opposed to chasing after chasing after external mm. validators. Because when we chase after external validators, that's the thing that continues to promote our shame and the reason right. why you can get triggered easily. Right, right. At my, you know, piggybacking on that. <laughs> so much piggybacking. Because you're big. <laughs> and I'm little. Um, it, for me, it, it's it, to, it's not good to exist in a state of want. It's not right. good to, to exist in a state of need. And and the things that you want on the outside of you are never gonna. It's never gonna fix everything. I agree. It's, it's what Jody Sweeten said a couple of weeks ago. Is that you know your 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 value exists in sitting still. Yes. It's immutable. Totally. Yeah. Your, our value is our birthright. It's inherent. Yes. All right. Where can find where can people find you on your socials, big boy? <laughs> you can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram, Twitter, and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. You can find me at Alec Mop on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You could also DM us, ask us questions. Don't mm-hmm. forget to download and subscribe. Our numbers are climbing week after week. We're so <laughs> grateful. Very grateful. We're so grateful that you you chose to hang out with us. So we'll see yes. you next week. We'll have more hot mess fun. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.